yeah, I got off of social media for the better part of two years and the um it was definitely a good thing, but um, you know, certain aspects of it I do like about being back. So yeah. Yeah. What was the best part about it? Like what uh what do you feel like you gained most from it? Um, I think I just had a pretty unhealthy relationship with it. And so it freed up a lot of my time for sure. I had trouble having boundaries with it. And um, like I worked on a lot of projects the past couple of years um, that stuff I always wanted to do, working on music stuff and, and writing, trying to work out like a longer form writing project and um i think that not being on there definitely was a big part of if nothing else it freed up a certain amount of time and also kind of cut down on my uh cut down on my self-loathing a little bit and that that helped me uh, be a little bit more productive so yeah 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 i think like um i don't know yeah it feels like if you that you sometimes need you you feel like you need I say you. It feels like sometimes I need social media to be like, well, this is the space that something I create will exist in. So I need to be like, have eyes on it in some way. But then who cares? And also, if it just makes me see somebody who I, you know, kind of know make something, and then I think, like, well, why didn't I make mine a day before theirs? Or why is mine not coming out right now? Or why have I, why am I looking at this rather than working on it? And, um yeah it's it's very unhealthy yeah for sure it fuels competition i feel like that's why i had to leave twitter honestly because not that i was getting like super competitive on it or anything but just seeing like that kind of you know other people like quote people and just go after them for like shit that just they didn't like and shit i was just like man I gotta, I gotta leave this site. But, uh, but the consequence of that is, I don't know when anyone has a fucking book coming out because everyone announces that they have a book coming out on Twitter. So uh, it's big. There's a big give and take there for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, your your New Year's resolution was to get on social media again, and that's like the opposite <laughs> of fucking everybody else. <laughs> More time online. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to really plug in this year. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, I kind of went through some life transitions and sort of led me back to it. Um, not everything about it is bad. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. It, it, there's, I'll try to have a philosophy at least with a lot, with most things, uh, try to just, uh, accept it for what it is, then wring my hands over it being what it's never going to be. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah easier said than done yeah 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 i think i mean i get i get in my head about that with anything like i i will like recognize my patterns of thought uh point them out as i'm having them tell myself say out loud that these are this is a pattern of thought that i'm i always recognize i never think about the other thing that the other side of it is just as likely or or just as possible or or doesn't matter or whatever and then still uh just end up end up obsessing about like I don't know uh, my my ability to point out my patterns of thought rather than like just leaving it behind or or whatever like with uh, competition or uh... Uh, I'm in a group chat with uh, that has about 120 people in it 
um it's What's like, that like? A, yeah it's like an it's like an all-town group chat i live in a really small town and so this group chat is sort of a everybody who knows each other or is only a degree or so removed from each other in this one area um and uh it's pretty it's pretty batshit crazy sometimes it's useful um i'll always check in like if i see like a cop parked somewhere uh with a speed trap i'll send it around that it's useful for that kind of thing but then it'll just like a couple weeks ago like last week somebody heard a, an explosion and then there was just like an endless thread about what the explosion was and nobody could figure it out um so that's interesting yeah it seems like that's like the 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 best and worst parts of like a citizen app or like a neighborhood watch app. I don't know if you've, if you uh, ever talked with citizen before. No, it's not I, don't, good. <laughs> I don't know what that's about. It's, um, it's like, um, is it like next door? It's similar to next door. Yeah. But there is like, yeah. So <laughs> next yeah, it's like next door, but it's less of a forum and more of a way to like, to talk about like events that are happening. So like, uh, a lot of times it's associated with it, it's like um, maybe connected to or related to like police scanners. So it'll be like police scanner in this part of the neighborhood. And then somebody who's in that neighborhood will like videotape the police and like it'll show up and then there'll be like a thread underneath it about I'm here and this is what's happening. You can watch my video and then you go and you watch their live stream. And sometimes that's cool, especially if it's like a house. That's, I mean, cool as in. Uh, informative and uh, community-based and uh, yeah, people working together. Negative because it's like a person's house is on fire and everybody's like, look, I'm here. Look how close I am to it. <laughs> yeah. And then it's also negative because then there'll be like, you know, uh, a fight or a, a shooting or something. And then somebody will be like, well, I know it's this person. I'm calling the cops. I'm doing this. And it seems like very anti-community, anti-like neighborhood it's just like mm. it's very it feels very voyeuristic but your your group chat seems not bad <laughs> most, most it's mostly harmless sometimes entertaining occasionally useful mm. yeah. uh, that's got to be the biggest group chat i think i've heard of <laughs> like aside from like its own platform you know a hundred you said it's like a 120 plus people on it um and you so, know everyone in there? Um, I used to. At one point in time, I did know everybody yeah. in there. Most of the people in there, I probably would, uh, or I know somebody who knows them, or um, it would know them if I would recognize them if I saw them walking down the street. Hell yeah, that's sick. Would you, would you like if you saw somebody walking down the street that you only really knew from the group chat? Would you talk to them? Maybe if something had happened in the group chat that day, have, has that ever happened? No, um, no, I would. Because <laughs> uh, it's not like you can, you can't like. It's just, it's just a message thread. So there, you a lot of people like they don't even have like their last name listed or like a photo or anything. It's just like a first name, and so some people I just don't even like. I might know who they are, but I can't identify them through the chat. And right, right, right. Um, but occasionally I will discuss it at length with people who I actually know who are in it. But um yeah, would, know, it's just a it it's like a way it's it's like a a Facebook page that's not Facebook kind of. Yeah. It's on yeah. signal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
that's cool. That sounds. I mean, I don't know. It sounds like American. <laughs> is a complex of occasions, themselves a geometry, of spatial nature. I have this sense that I am one with my skin. Plus this. Plus. Welcome to the podcast, Graham Irvin. Thanks for being here, dude. Yeah, no problem. Thank you for inviting me on. Yeah, and Kevin. Kevin's here as well. Hello. <laughs> so um, I wanted to talk a little bit about your writing, too. I know we talked a little bit about social media and kind of like just pre-show banter. But um, yeah, how's it been? So you've, you had a book come out in March. Is that right? Yeah. 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 So how, how was that for you? And like, I'm always like interested about like the first book phenomenon, things like that. Uh, I, I feel um, it was exciting, very uh, happy uh, that um, people were uh, wanted to, to read it and publish it. Um, my, my friends, uh, Cabin uh, Gonzalez and Zach Smith, both were editors of Back Patio Press I knew them from Twitter, and then I sent them, uh, you know, a rough draft of, of the book, and they liked it, which made me feel really good. Uh, and and I think working with them overall was like very uh, one one of the like best experiences I could imagine, as far as like uh, just people I already know who kind of are easy to talk to uh, in getting the book put together, and then also just um, you know. being like supportive and and with um you know beyond that you know after the book came out it's not like i uh i don't i don't know again this is the only experience i've had with it but i i i do have i have this vague feeling that a lot of places it's and i mean maybe it doesn't need to be a friendship thing but it's like there are some places where it's like more businessy where you don't have um as much support or uh you know a rapport with with whoever you're working with so that in itself would seem like, like a difficult thing but since it's come out uh it's been really nice um that people talk about reading it uh i, I think also like it's a thing that uh, that is related to like where i'm from and and a thing that like my family can relate to so like people who you know maybe would would be more dismissive of of this as like a a hobby or artsy fartsy or whatever are much more willing to engage with it, which I really enjoyed like talking to, you know, aunts and uncles and um, stuff like that, who, you know, read it because they were like, Oh, liver mush. I know what that is. And uh, so that's cool. I think that that maybe is the the most, uh, the best part of it. It's just, even if that's like a little embarrassing to be like, uh, to talk about that kind of stuff with somebody who I only see like three, four times a year. It's still, it still feels nice where they're like, Hey, I saw you did that. That's cool. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. When did you start writing the book? Was that like something you had been working on like through the pandemic too? I I think, um, I started writing it the summer of 2020, maybe, maybe, 
late summer 2020, July, August, something like that. Uh, and, and then sent it to uh, Kevin at the end of at the end of 2020 and then yeah and then that then that yeah then it was like one of the last books that he accepted for the like the rest of uh, 2022 and oh yeah, yeah no, 2021 or something like that so it was going to be a uh he's going to publish four books that year and then it ended up being maybe pushed down a little bit later so that seems right yeah i didn't i didn't spend a long time writing on it i i feel like uh it, it will I wrote it pretty quickly and it kind of is like one long thing. Uh, it's, it's kind of like maybe one long riff that like goes back and forth, like uh, rather than a collection of poems that I like put together over a period of time. Yeah, for sure. For um, sure. Can you, I know, I know that in the book you, you do get um, an explanation of liver mush, um, but could you kind of take us through it a little bit? Just maybe uh, describe that uh, food stuff for us and maybe also uh, give us a little idea of like uh, why it's kind of important to where you grew up and how you grew up also. I mean, I'm just really interested to hear. Um, I wanted to ask you a question about, about uh, drinking coffee at night also, but I, I'm interested, <laughs> really interested in, 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 uh, and uh, people's relationship with uh, with uh, food and drink. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about that, about the actual uh, the thing itself. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, liver mush is is it's a mostly eaten at at, at breakfast. It's a breakfast meat. There's a uh, liver in it, but there's also a lot of other stuff too. Um, it's got it's a like a like an awful uh type of of or awful i don't know how you say that um it's like scrap meat that uh typically what happens is like during butcher season they they cut off the good parts of of animals and then they have these organs and parts of meat that are like tough and uh what they do typically is they like boil them down and you know uh mix them with something that uh uh that uh spaces out the meat i think that had uh i forget what that there's a word for that but it's like uh makes the meat go longer so like they use cornmeal and 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 liver mush but other you know other types of meat like that might use um rice like blood sausage has rice in it or uh ghetto which is uh should uh, uh ohio cincinnati thing they use uh like barley or buckwheat uh just something that like makes the meat uh make makes more uh of it and maybe makes it so it's like not so that you're only eating that one thing um an expander food expander and it probably binds it together too also right yeah 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 it keeps it like bound together it maybe creates a little bit better consistency so that like that uh you're not necessarily i think it makes it more palatable i mean uh if you have to eat it i think that as of now, there's no reason to eat something, you know, but I think at one point, point in time, it was like, maybe this would be more palatable if we put a bunch of spices in it. And also uh, like, you know, something that like has a nice, like neutral flavor to it, you know, like neutral taste to it. And, you know, 
oh, whatever that graininess isn't bad meat, it's cornmeal, you know? Um, but uh, it's similar to Scrapple, which is like a Pennsylvania, Northeastern thing. Maybe that's something also that, like, since you're in West Virginia, I don't know if, I don't know what part, like, what touches you, Kevin. No, yeah, I, th I think that, uh, yeah, Scrapple, Scrapple is definitely a thing in, in West Virginia, too, for sure. Okay. I was yeah. thinking that it would probably be related to it, yeah, in some way. I think, yeah, and it's, like, the same concept in meatballs, too, right? There's, like, you make a big, a big gooey breadcrumb mixture, and you mix it in with the meat, and it turns it into something else. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's, like, it's, I think... I mean, it's basically the, the same thing as Scrapple. If like maybe the, the spice mixture or like consistency of like meat versus not meat might be a little bit different. But like if you looked at it and held the two together, you'd be hard pressed to tell the difference. Um, uh, but it's it's weirdly just from a part of North Carolina that's like, I think it's mostly Western North Carolina, which I'm not from Western North Carolina. I'm from more of like the Piedmont central area, but a lot of my family grew up in, in Western North Carolina and um, moved to the town that I am from, which is like this small mill town, Kannapolis, uh, to work at this mill. So like they, they you know, grew up in more like, you know, uh, closer to uh, Appalachian mountain areas uh, and, there's not a huge amount of uh, industry there. And Kannapolis was a place where they like invented the, the, the hand towel in the, in the South. Like some guy was like, some guy named Cannon was like, yeah, I, I made this thing and you just, you have it. You wipe, you wash yourself with it. And then he like in, created a town. Like he like, he was like, he, he was from Charlotte and I guess worked in textiles, but he made this thing and he's like, we need like a full factory to do this. And then the factory existed and he's like, well, I mean, it's already, it's halfway between Raleigh and Charlotte. So, I mean, it go and then like the, the train kind of goes through here. What if we like invented this stop? So like the town didn't exist uh, without this you know, mill. Um, so people came there. And uh, so it was just a thing like, so I think that it's a town that has no identity outside of this mill. So, everyone who came in there kind of like brought their own thing to it. So um, a big thing with my family was like food, liver mush. Um, I think it's also just not to make it seem like my family is super special being from the South and liking food. But um, that was a thing uh, growing up that we ate. It was even weird to people that I grew up with, which I always thought was funny where it's not a, my it's not a thing. Right. It's not like a tradition in the community. It's a tradition in, your family and they brought it with them from the place where it originates yeah yeah exactly yeah yeah and i think really i mean like i never really thinking about it uh growing up and then also you know moving away even for like you know college and, and grad school and stuff it wasn't like it was just a thing I ate when I came home or it was a thing that was always there. It was just a thing that we talked about, but didn't, until like, you know, thinking about it and kind of doing a little bit of research while writing the book, um, you know, and talking to my family and stuff, it's like kind of came together and like, like what it's unique to them. And, and like, yeah, you know, uh, I think also other than that, I, 
the as far as, it may be stuck in my head is like an important thing because it's like a gross sounding word it's like an upsetting kind of uh image you know and to attach that with something that feels comforting and, and like that i crave it's always been uh it's a funny thing to me yeah that's interesting um i always heard it called the poor man's pate you ever hear that <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it yeah there's there's um the restaurant that i work at they have a they have like a fall winter um no spring i don't know they have like liver chicken liver pate uh no chicken yeah chicken liver pate and i always uh no fuck <laughs> chicken liver moose mm -hmm. and yeah, i yeah. always like uh every time i heard that get called i was like that sounds like liver mush like it, it's just pate just moose on bread Everything. i've never had that i don't know about that for me i would try but i don't know mm. just, just like a foamy mess of liver coming out yeah. bro I don't, I don't like the idea i'm a little wary of the idea of something savory in moose form <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah and apparently this is like like you know it's like working at this like it's a nice restaurant in terms of like what I've I've experienced in, in, in restaurants. There'll be a thing on the menu or there'll be an ingredient or whatever. And then I'll like hear about other places in the area that also have that ingredient. So like the liver mousse thing, chicken liver mousse specifically is not just like the restaurant. It's like other places do that. It's like, it's a type of taste that people want when they go to yeah. a certain type of restaurant. And it always, uh, surprises me because it's like i have something i've never heard of and it's like yeah everyone's doing leeks and fennels dude everyone already knows about that and like it's like what are you doing with leeks and fennels but you need to have leeks and fennels whatever yeah, uh, yeah. it's not bad though i mean I, I i tried it and like a lot of times it would be what you ate you know whenever they were like there's not enough uh to save for tomorrow so you would just <laughs> eat it with a spoon at the end of a shift yeah yeah that's sick where uh the restaurants in philly you're working at yeah yeah it's in like um the uh the bigger i i live in south philly mm -hmm. uh and it's more like residential but connected to uh center city which is like the downtown area and it's like in outside of center city right next to it's in a nice it's in a rich part of town it's like a really <laughs> rich part of town a lot of doctors and med students come there and uh, people who uh, like went to Ivy League schools and, yeah, <laughs> and talk about sure. things that I've never heard of. <laughs> oh man. Um, one thing I was thinking about too, is like, just, you know, hearing you talk about like home and, you know, cuisine and family and all that stuff. Um, you know, how has, was there like an adjustment period to getting into Philly or how is that like kind of, informed your writing since it's you know a little bit different than Kannapolis and I always think of this too because like for me it's like have to I, I'm I draw so much I guess like inspiration from just the place that I'm in you know or I remember like whenever I was living in Pittsburgh or even in Wilmington for a little bit it was like the way that I remembered the place to be when I left it you know um so have you ever had uh how, how's that been for you like trying to settle in a new place and also keep riding um since moving to uh to philly it, it, 
there's been um there's been ups and downs with writing i think that um writing the the liver mush book was like a, a stride where i i felt like i could have fun and make myself laugh and that was like a goal in the writing project that maybe up to that point i hadn't really like cracked through and that might not be specifically because of philly or anything it might have just been a, you know, a couple different uh, things that happened you know i think it would be the pandemic maybe also influenced that just being like whatever um and uh uh i think but i think that like being away from north carolina made me compartmentalize experiences there differently so that i could uh that maybe writing about them was easier where I wasn't writing about what I'm doing. So I think, yeah, I mean, I think that like whenever I was in grad school, there was times where I would try to write about home or being um, from North Carolina or the South or whatever that always felt like I was putting on like a costume or something or, or like it just felt like maybe inauthentic because it was, um, a thing I didn't think about or a thing that felt like uh, where I was trying to find a certain experience that maybe wasn't mine or that was uh, uh, small but blowing it up into something bigger whereas I think when I moved away everything seemed to be like easier to pinpoint like this is what this looks like in the South, this is what uh, is different than that. This is what I can't get uh, uh, there uh, and here. Um. It feels like um, there's like pretty good community from what I've seen, you know, pretty good community in Philly for writers and things like that too. So that's probably been pretty helpful, you know? Yeah, I think, I mean, like, I think a lot, I mean, a lot of the community um that I, I i have met you know a handful i have met uh, writers here and um and uh they are like yeah it's it's nice to be around that i think it also is like um you know like when, if there's a reading or something though you know it, it feels like it doesn't have to be associated with 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 um I don't know. Yeah, it's it just it it seems like that there there'll be a reading and people will come and and you see people that you know from the internet and it and that I feel like is something that I haven't experienced before, um, where like I met people who I had only ever known through the internet when I moved here and uh, which was really uh, I think exciting. But I do think that like a big support for my writing within the last couple of years has come from the internet where it's like making friends probably because I was spending less time outside and, and with a community that was in person and more, you know, online. And, um, and then like in response to that meeting people who were in the area, uh, I lived like right down the street. Uh, I used to live right, right down the street from this bookstore and, um, some, some person, uh, was like selling uh selling like concert tickets in, in, in philly it was like hey i've got these concert tickets i can't go who wants to get them so i like messaged you know i, I like resp replied to the tweet 
And then somebody who worked at the bookstore saw that tweet that I sent and, and then messaged me and was like, Hey, I see that you got this book coming out. Do you want to do a reading at the bookstore? And it was like an insane situation that didn't, you know, and then like, also like, you know, he didn't know that I lived right down the street, but it was like literally a block away from where I, I was. So I could like, you know, like I met a bunch of people through that that lived in uh, the, not only Philadelphia, but a specific neighborhood that I lived in. That led to me, like I, I got to uh, teach, um, like a, lead a poetry workshop at that same bookstore, which like happened because of that connection. And I feel like, I don't know, I've, it, that's not impossible to happen other places, but I do think that um, it, it does, uh, it, it, it does feel like, specifically tied to here for me at least where I'm like makes me uh feel very endeared uh to the city and to the people here uh and and they seem supportive of of me being not from here you know which I think is nice yeah for sure how long have you lived there Graham uh, three years mm -hmm. uh, so yeah a little, little over three years yeah I came October 2019 where were you before you before you moved there were you in north carolina or were you someplace else yeah i was living in uh wilmington before that so i'd spent uh yeah i've spent like most of my life up until those just these three years in north carolina i lived in different areas in north carolina and uh yeah what was the thing that originally drew you to philly in particular is it was it was it a job or just a general need to go and be out someplace different uh need to just be in a city or did were there people there that drew you there i mean what was the uh there i mean like i think i think it was wanting to be in a in a bigger area to like see what that was like to experience something outside of of what i was used to um something outside of the South, something outside of, of the cities that I knew in the South, um, or at least in North Carolina. And, and then from that finding, you know, seeing people that I, uh, whose writing I liked or whose music I liked or art that I liked that lived in this area made me want to like kind of come up here and, 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 just be a, like a part of that community or you know be adjacent to that community what what other sorts of um events and and uh you know community uh literary things have you been involved with recently you said that there was a you did a poetry workshop at that bookstore um just curious about um what kind of a since there is such a thing as a you know public and group events again curious if do you have any um regular things that go on or any regular haunts where there are you know readings or poetry events that you frequent um so i've been to a couple uh like just friends of people who i've known um whose books like coming out a guy uh uh kevin mckierney uh, just had um a book come out on like 30 west 30 west is a publishing company here and i read his uh book release met another friend josh 
Dale, who had a book release at a, a bookstore. Um, and then my, yeah, my book release. Uh, I haven't found many places that are like ongoing events, mm -hmm. which, um, you know, there are, there are places that will have like gallery, like there'll be galleries and sometimes they'll have readings there or they'll have places like, like Tattooed Moms is like a, a, a bar restaurant that will have like readings and stuff. But I haven't found any like monthly or, or bi-monthly events uh, as far as like, like, like consistent art things go. When I first moved here, I tried to find some like open mic things and and i was very surprised to find that like a lot of open mics are kind of they're the same no matter where you are you know like i guess i i don't know why i assumed it, not that that's not bad i think that it was that there's like a, a certain kind of i don't know they're like open mics have this this weird kind of vibe to them where it's not a put on a it's not a a put on event it's like uh a thing where everybody comes and they kind of diminish themselves and they all uh you know like laugh at each other and uh it maybe was not like what i was expecting i wanted it to be a challenge or be kind of like you know as much as competition maybe is is something that also eats at me and bothers me it is something that if there is like a, a, a mark that I can pass, that's what I was hoping to see, that I would come to a place and be like, oh, wow, that's who I have to you know, impress. And it, it didn't feel that way, uh, at least the open mics thing. Um, I don't know. I've been thinking that it would be cool to try to put on some kind of ongoing event. Um, because, I mean, up until this point, I felt maybe outside of or not, uh, not capable of doing that like it's not my place to do that but you know i feel like more and more i'm like oh i have like i've been a part of those things so why couldn't i do those things so you you feel like generally you um the the live event the the reading thing is something that you overall enjoy i know that some people have have like a really really uh hot and cold relationship with that sort of thing. So I'm always curious where people, where people land on that. I know that my relationship with it is kind of hot and cold with kind of all, all kinds of performing where when you're in a space with the people you really like and it's good, it's really good. And then there's other times where I feel like I want to, you know, you know, jump out of my skin and, and yeah. go up into a puff of smoke. Um, yeah yeah i mean i think like what um you kind of talked about that with uh that it with when, uh, in, in your episode with, with, with evan where like the the uh, appalachian traveling appalachian mm -hmm. review or whatever where it's like it seemed like you had a group of people and you all kind of knew each other well and knew what you were going to be doing or if you had new stuff you was kind of like within this language that you all uh shared just by being together a lot and, um i think that's like the best case scenario is that where you have people who are like trusting and maybe know each other already or like uh, yeah you can kind of like feed off of each other yeah yeah, yeah 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 and like yeah, yeah and, and 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 maybe like even if like if you're like oh i'm gonna do something new 
you got people who are like there with you to to like lean into it and help out you know mm-hmm. with whatever that meaning like you know so you're just being like excited for something you know someone's just like i'm doing something new you know they're not like well impress me it's more like you know oh cool i can't wait to hear it because i like what you do already and i like you know i like that that but i like i was saying i think that maybe that's a good way of framing it is that like maybe that's the problem with a lot of open mics is that you don't know anybody and unless you are like very consistently going to these things you uh you you are you feel like an outsider and or you might even be like there every week but you just haven't been accepted into whatever like three four groups of uh, three four person group that is the ones who do the best open mic reading or whatever and and it doesn't feel like i guess that could happen anywhere but um i don't know that's how i got started reading whenever i started writing poetry i would go to coffee shops open mics in raleigh and uh that was what i did and i think that uh it it maybe informed a lot of like how i think about like uh what a poem does or what writing does or how i want uh a, a piece to progress uh logically or rhetorically is for it to like interact with a listener or an audience or whatever and i think that um so when i think of so i i, I feel like maybe there i might have more confidence or i get an energy from a, a group of people than maybe the average or not all readers or writers or whatever but I've always enjoyed that and I always feel like even if I'm like I I I recently I forgot to tell you I did one <laughs> I did one at this uh oh man uh it was a it was a a really really nice restaurant this really fancy restaurant uh but they had a uh a a like backed room where they also were do we do these events so it was called the listening room and uh i just thought it was like a connected room i'd never been there i'd never been to the restaurant before when i went there i got invited to to be a part of the reading and uh you had to wait in line and the listening room was on the other side of a fake bathroom so you'd walk into this bathroom and it looked like a real bathroom but there's another door there and you had to knock on it and then the person on the other side would let you in and they'd give you a sticker to put over the camera of your phone because you could not have photos of the listening room and um it's full of smoke it's like it looks like uh it's the walls are lined with uh these crates that hold vinyl records and then the it's carpeted on the ground with like real thick shag carpet bunch of fog just you can't see anything there's a bar in there all of the drinks are like named mm, ah, mm. You know, like, you know, aperitif, uh, weird kind of drinks like that. And I got, like, you know, I got invited to do that. And I, you know, I'm not going to say no. But it was also, like, a place where, like, I read a lot of what, you know, I read, I, you know, a lot of these same poems. And I don't, they didn't go over well. I kind of bombed. <laughs> and, but I enjoyed it a lot. It was very kind of, it was fun bombing. It was fun just being, like, I was, like, walking into a place and just being, like, I don't know. <laughs> I was not going to go, like, not going to really I'm not going to be these people's pe- person, but I'm going to still yeah. do it. Maybe that's fun. 
think that's one of the things that I like about reading poetry for people is that the definition of bombing is subjective. Now you can tell when an audience is giving you their full attention, like the you can you can detect it in their body language and how people are looking at you, but um, it's still more subjective than like nobody could actually um, come to you and say that that set was an abject failure, as opposed to being a stand-up comedian where there's literally only one correct thing to happen during a stand-up comedy set, which is like, if they don't laugh, then that fucking set didn't work. Um, so I appreciate you saying that, like, I bombed, but it was fun bombing. And I, I think I've had that, that um, I've felt that sensation too, where like, well, okay, um, that I didn't really quite get the feedback that I wanted from that group of people. But then again, the feedback that I'm looking for is kind of hard to define anyway. So, you know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, you're exactly right. It wasn't. Well, it is funny because I mean, yeah, you're right laughter if you're a stand-up comedian that's what you want if you don't have that that's a bomb but you know i was like <laughs> i was like in intro introducing the concept of what i was going to do as like you know this is what i'm doing uh just you know whatever i understand you don't know me at all and i'm up here saying these things and uh and it's like part of the bit that's what i'm doing it's i'm making i'm gonna be scary or whatever i'm, mm -hmm. I'm not scary i know you know what i mean like i'm, I'm doing that shit i'm trying to I'm trying to wrestle that I don't fucking know but um I was like I you know before that there was like three people before and every time someone had a good line or someone finished a poem or whatever they would like snap and uh and it's like if you want to snap snap like I don't care it doesn't make sense but it's also you're in a fucking speakeasy bar that's in the middle of like a big city you you know you don't need to snap you can clap it's like there's there's music playing that we can hear from the restaurant that this is attached to, uh, so we don't need to snap. You can clap. You can do. Uh, so I was like, I got up and I was like, hey, you know, uh, snap if you want to snap. You can clap too if you if you feel if any emotion feels like it's got to come out of you. Don't don't like you know limit it to just snapping. Like you can shout, you can clap, you can cheer, you can laugh or whatever. You can boo if you want to boo. And like you know, someone's like boo. I was like, haha, good one. And then I read, you know, some pieces, and that same person or someone from that general area booed. And, uh, but it was like, I gave them permission. And also, they were like, it was like a call and response. So it was like, you know, like funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes the social pressure of just reading is like enough to wear me out to where I never want to do it again. And then I'm like, 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 I, I just think like, man, if I just, maybe I should just like print these out and just hand them out during my allotted time and do like a <laughs> silent reading. Like we'll read these together <laughs> and just something yeah. like that. Just so because I'm snap. like, yeah, yeah. You can do like you something can you could snap. I don't actually know where that comes from. I'm getting it. Is, is, is the snapping thing actually supposed to be part of like a not raising like the volume in the room too much at a at a reading i don't i always thought that was like like um you know I, I have no idea where that comes from i just think of like cartoons with people reading poetry behind bongos and they snap yeah, you know snap, what I mean? yeah, yeah. like I, I don't know where it actually where that actually originates from i might be might be like 
wrong or kind of muddying some things, but I think it's City Lights bookstore in like San Francisco was like below or, you know, they would have like readings there. And it was like the person who owned the building lived upstairs and they couldn't be loud or something. Mm. So they would snap instead of clapping because they didn't want the cops to get caught on them because they were like a bunch of, you know, uh, mayor do wells who, um, you know, were, I don't know, being, being, uh, revelatory in, in the, you know, in the bookstore. I think that is where I've heard it comes from, but I think, yeah, it just gets kind of assigned to like, this is how cool people, uh, respond to poetry. It's just like yeah. virtue signaling. It's yeah, like I've been adopted by the by the coffee shop. Yeah. Vibe. Yeah. Mm, yeah. I'm yeah. not sure. I I don't know the last time that I went to a well, I guess I see people do it occasionally, but yeah, I mean, I'm just yeah, like you said, like please, if any if there's any emotion that needs to come out of you, please just let it come out. Or I don't need to be uh light. Like I'd like to have a if I read something, I'd like to have a nice round of applause. Um Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, right. It feels good. <laughs> like, like at least it, it, it's like, you know, I, yeah. Look, I'm a, you know, I, I made myself get up here and do this in front of you, but it, it does kind of like relieve some tension if there is like a sa- like a big sound or whatever. Or like, I'm like, oh yeah, cool. That I can kind of like. It feels like maybe the, the, uh, if the noise is like big out there, then that means it's less pressure on me to like keep the noise in front of the mic. Um, or it just it makes me feel good and proves that my poems are good yeah it means that they're there with you yeah for sure when you're since you started reading like uh at open mics graham did you um like is that something you think about whenever you're writing or like maybe even like revising like how am i going to read this um or like how is this going to sound when i read it like is that something you were thinking about with liver mush or even some of your newer stuff um because i i know like whenever i'm whenever i finish a poem or whatever i do think about that but i'm trying i'm trying to think about like how that informs my process if it does like maybe there'll be like some words that honestly like embarrassingly i've written and i've never actually said out loud and i'll have to like youtube how to say the word you know (laughs) or like a person's name or something like that so do you think about that stuff when you're like editing yeah 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 like um i think that uh i i I like the idea of of like a a poem being a thing that uh can be said and kind of understood out loud in the same in a similar way as it would be on the page uh or like and you know um that it sounds like a voice that I would use uh, in talking to somebody or in telling a story or like, you know, I, yeah, I think about like, you know, what, how I talk whenever I'm excited or how I talk when I'm like nervous or how I talk when I'm like um, trying to sound a certain way and, and want to put that into the, the thing that I'm writing. If it, you know what it calls for that you know like tapping well i like like being like like, you know amped up in the thing where it's like uh kind of uh having this kind of like high 
uh, but buzzy energy and something where it's kind of like, it doesn't matter who I'm talking to or what about, I'm like kind of lecturing them and coming at them. Like those are kind of things where like, I notice that in the way I talk when I'm like, when I'm like really on one. And, uh, and so I'm like, that's when I'm really like, you know, I'm getting that information out and I'm like speaking more eloquently and, you know, so I want to like, you know, put that in the writing too. But I mean, in like, yeah, there's some stuff where it's like, yeah, I'll write things where I, I like do research because I want it to sound right instead of saying what I would say. Like I would, mm -hmm. if I would say like, you know, whatever the fuck that shit is, you know, like that's what I would maybe say to get from point A to point B because my point, the main thing that I'm trying to say is over here. It doesn't matter what the detail is. Um, but on writing, you know, like when I, I wanted to maybe sound like I'm not dumb or sound that I'm like, sound like it's not wasted space or just um, like, is it just, would it just be bad poetry or like prose if it's just words that keep, keep space or words that keep, like keep voice? Cause I think that like, I guess you want a poem to, even, even if it is like voice driven to be like you know, good down to the words, like, mm -hmm. So yeah, I get caught up on that a lot. Um, I think words... it def yeah, I think it definitely shows that your work is is you know it's very economical, and I think it's definitely evident that a lot of attention has been given to that about keeping making sure that you know things are taught and not slack, and that there's not uh, a bunch of extra stuff laying around. I think that definitely is definitely evident in the stuff that that you read and other stuff that I've read of yours online. I appreciate that. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, I see that shit too. I see that in both y'all's work, actually. That's something that I'm really like, I'm envious of each of you <laughs> in that kind of way. Um, with like your new stuff that you're writing, Graham, um, and even also in Livermush and the, the Elon Musk poem, one thing I'm going to ask like an annoying question, just cause I'm curious and I think about this constantly. Um, um, how did you make, how did you come up with the, that kind of idea? Cause I've noticed that in your work for a while, it's just like, there is almost like an anaphora or like, you know, like just like a building um, of uh, like staccato, I guess, Kevin, that's, is that the right music word? I don't know shit about that, but you know, like, like stops and pauses and things like that. Um, I don't know if that relates to politics at all, but, you know, like uh, just like the, the way you think about the world and the way you think about language in that sense. I don't necessarily when writing like that, think of it as like a political thing, but I guess it would make totally. it, it does make sense uh, in, in like the ways that I see the world. Cause like um, in maybe I feel like with repetition, with, uh, yeah with repetition in certain things having uh like these repetitions change as they go or or just like pushing an idea more and more and more it, it feels like what i like to think about is like you know uh i'm give i'm given more freedom where i'm allowed to be uh to to say more or to like to like express a, a bunch of different ideas that don't necessarily feel like that I'm attached to one or the other where I could like, uh, you know, uh, it, 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 a lot of times it feels like when writing those pieces, they're very, they're exciting to me because it feels like there's a, 
there's a moment in there where anything could happen and it doesn't feel uh, like outside the, the logic or outside of the content or whatever. Like, I think that like, um, uh, you know, like you can just, you kind of have like, you have freedom because it's like, you've kind of broken down. Um, it's It's been established that that phrase or that word doesn't mean any set thing. So you have this freedom for it to just mean whatever. And then, you know, at a certain point you can come back and say something and it'd be like, it, it has more ground, it has more grounding and power to it because you've kind of just, um, you know, you've been all over the place just a second ago. So like what, whenever I just stop doing that, it's like, it creates like a, a you know, there's like, oh, I'm listening to that. To the, 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 there's more focus on it because it breaks that 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 pattern. Yeah, it's like the best version of making up the rules as you go along. I mean, I I think that using that kind of repetition, um, in poems is really fruitful because it yeah, like you said, it kind of allows you, it gives you something to orbit around, and you can either, um, kind of be very stay very close and uh, stay very close to it and be very uh topical in the way that you talk about it but then you can also go go you know way way out from it and you can kind of you know get get close to it and pull back from it as you need to so it's like uh and then sometimes I, I think for me if I'm writing if I'm experimenting with something like that that all this kind of say while I'm doing it, well, okay, whatever. Um, maybe the center of gravity here isn't really so much a center of gravity. And this is all just, you know, just a big wet fart, but like, and I'll go back to it and I'll say like, Oh no, like actually there was, there is, there was like an internal logic going on there that I just didn't see, even though I was enjoying writing it. Okay. I'll like write it off before I'm even done with it. And then I'll go back to it and I'll say, no, that really was doing something that even I wasn't aware of at the time. And I definitely get that from that longer liver mush poem where you're kind of cat casting it and recasting it and over mm -hmm. and over again. Um, yeah. It's yeah. It's cool to see it, to see that device applied to something that's so specific to your life and also something that's you know based in food too which i think yeah. is uh underappreciated as far as a as a as a topic for for poetry and everything that it that it contains um also i was thinking too it like kind of creates a point of reference for a reader you know like where you can kind of you kind of create the terms of which you want them to and how close you want them to be able to engage with the subject or the content and then as it kind of repeats it begins to like take on different meanings from all of the other contexts that it's kind of been used on you know it's like accumulating effect that it builds so like liver mush maybe the first time you use it um at, at least for a reader right if you say it by the end of the poem it could be something else does that make sense graham is that like a leap <laughs> no 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 i like yeah yeah i think yeah yeah i think like yeah I, 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 yes i know what you mean yeah and then thinking about like i guess like i'm still like trying to think about like uh the the politics thing because i think i mean it's the stuff i read you know i'm writing about like guns and things like that and um a lot of that i'm trying to understand 
I'm, I'm trying to think about it as like a, a more personal feeling of like gun meaning um just a, a, a negative emotion that i carry with me or or, or a um uh, a bad part of myself uh and uh or you know or just aggression in general or anger or whatever like that kind of thing and then trying to like look at it that way but then also uh, you know i think in that writing process what i've been trying what i've been struggling with and also um uh it's been fun as well as like f finding like ways to uh have a, th a thread of thought and then kind of push back and say like that's not what i think or who can i don't you know believe that or, or whatever but doing that through repetition just be be being like i want this like i want the the reader i want the poem to go here i want the piece to go here and feel like it's going to say this thing or that thing or or maybe it's like aligning some with some kind of thought that uh, you know that would maybe either be uh yeah it's aligning with some kind of thought but then um deny that after the end of it you know pull back and say like that's not it i think like in in the couple pieces i read about just like you know scaring a professor professor with a gun or or like uh you know be, being a, a person who you know works for like uh you know like mckenzie and you know helps uh sell evil stuff to children it's like i don't know i don't want to do that I, I i don't think you know i don't think people should do that but i also the McKinsey thing. I don't, you know, that's, but I also, I don't know. I think if I lived a certain life that, that, that led me to that, I don't know. You know, I, it's very easy for me to say like, yeah, that stuff sucks. I hate that. But it's also like, I, I never, I was never on the, the I was never going to do that. You know, or maybe I was, but maybe I messed up. I, I don't know. We didn't, when I, whenever I, it was that I wasn't allowed to do that. But you know what I mean? Like, especially like just seeing people who are like, I don't like the people that do that. And I see people a lot in my, and, and, you know, that, that would do those kind of jobs or, or works work in things that are less serious than that, that I still feel are quote unquote evil in cer certain ways. And I still think that person is like, well, they're not trying to be that way. They're not like, they're maybe just not thinking about it or not ex like thinking about their world in that way. Um, and, uh, you know, like I, I, I can look at it and say that sucks, but I can also be like, you know, I don't know, I don't know what I would do if I went to Yale and my dad worked for a really nice company and said, hey, you can get two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year, and all you have to do is just take this intern for a couple months, to internship for a couple months. You know, yeah. it's it's hard to say, you know. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's some nuance for sure that you really don't like. We don't really you're discussed i don't think with that kind of employment or career or whatever you know like yeah for sure for sure and i'm not saying that i don't i don't <laughs> i again i say like that shit sucks and i and i yeah, really don't totally. like that stuff but like it is like uh i i struggle to to to, to balance between uh being a dickhead to people because they seem to not be like doing the things that I like and then being a, an advocate for the right stuff because 
what somebody is doing is not like politically aligned with me, you know, like, because I think that if you talk to somebody and they, and they seem like a nice person, they're like, I work here, you'd be a dickhead if you were like, fuck you, scum, you know, like yeah. you're like 25 years old, you know, like, I, I don't know. Yeah. If, 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 I can't like, yeah, I, I live in West Virginia, you know what I mean? Like, I can't, I can't really go out of my way to get terribly upset every time I run into somebody who's wearing a let's go Brandon t-shirt, you know what I mean? Like, I just <laughs> yeah. like, it's just, yeah, there's a, you know, everybody exists in their own world of social pressures and um, we're kind of funneled along whatever cultural route we're in. And I mean, yeah, it is, it is ultimately up to in the individual to make choices that um are you know humane to the people around us and show some kind of sign of wanting to be a good uh participant in a society but 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 at the same time yeah um it's hard to when you're looking somebody in the face to not just to to not find that compassion to you know interact with them um at least in a civil way um so yeah it's a weird balancing act for sure um that i don't really think anybody anybody has got a clear idea how to navigate especially in the kind of current political moment that we're that we're living in um so sometimes it feels like it's almost impossible to have a a productive conversation with anyone about anything if the conversation you know gets much further than surface level um so yeah. and, I, and I, again i'm not i'm not saying that to even make it do that way but i think maybe with repetition stuff if we're bringing it back to poetry or bringing it back to uh you know uh, uh yeah a repetition in a writing or a type of writing where it's like i feel like be on the page it's harder for me to do that even in person because it's like i can you know i don't want to bring these things up and and cause like somebody to feel bummed out or then just feel like i don't know what to say next or you know it also it's a good way to like burn a bridge by being like this is a thing i was thinking of and then them just be like graham is like a conspiratorial like weirdo <laughs> uh that i've never had a conversation with until right now when he's like i don't think timothy mcveigh was alone and then, like, that's the only thing I've said to a per like, you know, civil war, American civil war right now would look way different than it used to. Like, it's like, and I don't really, and it's, yeah, right, you know, saying whatever, not, you know, what, you know what I'm saying? Saying that thing because it's on my, in my mind, saying that to somebody doesn't work in person. Uh, as well as it could maybe if I, like, say a thing over enough, lead someone somewhere and then I'm able to pull it back or the next page, it's something else. And and maybe if somebody <laughs> isn't enthralled enough, they could, you know, try to like, uh, they, 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 there's more um, like uh, trust and um, uh, the person is more likely to, uh, yeah, trust and, 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 and hope that I'm going to get to a point that doesn't hurt their feelings or it doesn't like, yeah. Go somewhere that sucks because you're not lecturing them you know you're you're creating art so there's some there's like some kind of there's like some generosity contained in that or you said like no i'm going to try to think about this in a bunch of different ways and layer it and show you the layers of how i'm thinking as opposed to just coming in hot with some opinions with somebody you know one-on-one -on -one. um yeah yeah <laughs> oh that's fascinating well, and then asking, yeah asking someone to 
engage with that in person too that sucks too because it's like not a, a conversation starter yeah yeah just, now you go after i said that what i just said now you have yeah, to it's a, yeah it's a conversation <laughs> ender yeah hopefully well we're like kind of at the hour Graham. but i wanted to ask you this before i before i let you go um what have you like is there anything like not um book related that you've been drawing inspiration from lately that you've been thinking of um that's not like poetry or fiction or nonfiction, maybe like films or anything music um yeah so uh the thing i've really a guy i've really i've been listening to a lot uh, his name's colin miller i think he's like the drummer touring drummer who like works with mj linderman he has like a couple eps like solo eps that i think are really good uh they're easy to listen to i feel like i'm really bad at listening to music but i've less like that a lot and uh movies i really like uh this um uh this this filmmaker her name's jennifer reader uh it's like r-e-e-d-e-r and uh she has made a couple like one one or two feature length films, but she's made a bunch of short films that you can all find on Vimeo. You find all of them on Vimeo. And she will like use the same script or at least the same dialogue over and over again in a lot of her pieces. And, uh, but sometimes it'll be different characters or she'll use the same actors, but they'll be playing different characters, but they'll kind of be caricatures that you recognize or like, you know, um, but she has a couple uh, like, short films blood beneath the skin is a really good uh short film um and then she has another mo a movie called uh knives and skin and it kind of it has like if you watch one and watch the other you'd be like oh wow they're doing like she's doing the same thing the same dialogue or whatever it's a there's a reference to uh it's a it's a gene dealman it's like mm -hmm. a cat uh like an ackerman uh movie yeah 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 uh, it was actually it, like sight and sounds like number one in like the most recent list and i just yeah, saw yeah. it until this year yeah yeah I, I watched that because yeah because jennifer reader uh was like saying like yeah i love that movie and the when she's making um i guess meatballs or whatever meatloaf yeah yeah meatloaf, yeah yeah meatloaf there's a scene in the beginning of one of uh that mile uh uh Blood beneath the skin that is does a meatloaf scene. I like that a lot. Also, my Winnipeg, which is by Guy Madden, it's like a black and white uh, mockumentary, faux documentary about his hometown, Winnipeg, and um, it's like yeah, black and white. It's kind of silent. There's like over. There's like a, a narrator over it, but it reminds me. It reminds me of reading a book. Uh, it feels like if you, if someone was like trying to make the like um like art school version of, of a christmas story like it has this kind of like jokey back and forth between reality and fiction while this guy's talking about his hometown that's like quaint and small uh but it's like a very it feels very serious but it always makes me think of a christmas story which makes me want to like tell people who like a christmas story to watch it even though it might not be for them but it feels like an entry like my my parents yeah would watch a christmas story like you know 10 times on christmas day because it's on and they're like it's a tradition 
And so I want, I feel like I want to see that as a transition into getting them experiencing, you know, some weird art movie, you know, so how do you explain that to them? I don't know. It's like a Christmas story. That's sick. That's enough to sell it to me. I'll definitely so. check it out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys see Avatar? No. Is it no. good? Do you, is I it haven't, worth seeing? I haven't seen it. Um, I haven't even seen the first one somehow, which is kind of crazy. Um, but I feel like it's been like rainy here. And I've been like, maybe I'll go to the movies and watch Avatar. We did mm. see Megan the oh, yeah. uh the like terminator baby doll yeah yeah <laughs> yeah it was kind of sick i like i watched the uh, skinamarink that that oh yeah movie. yeah yeah how was it it was cool it was like it was a really yeah really cool movie it it felt like uh i don't know it felt like like a uh, uh listening to like an ambient drone album but in the form of a narrative film like you don't see anybody's face everything is like shot from like the ground kind of facing a wall uh scenes don't necessarily they just you'll have a scene where it's like fuzzy kind of uh tv lit uh back of a sofa and it's like a five minute scene and then it just switches to something else but very scary and uh cool movie and interesting yeah sick i've been wanting to see that well, cool. Well, guys, thank you all for being here. That was fun. I enjoyed that. Yeah, thanks, Evan. Thanks, Graham. Thanks for letting me uh, come in on this one. Yeah. Oh, anytime, cool. Kevin. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. You too, Graham. Please come back anytime you want to just come in and chat. Uh, I want to in the future, like just have like a bunch of people in here. Uh, maybe not like a bunch, but you know, like six or seven folks, and we can all get going or something. But we can ultimately work up to a live show. Yeah, we could oh, yeah. maybe uh maybe get a group chat of a hundred and twenty <laughs> people. Oh, that that sounds fun. that sounds fucked if they're all interested in <laughs> in writing and yeah. poetry. It sounds really fucked. Yeah. Uh, maybe in a good way. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, thanks again for listening. Thanks, Graham, for being here. I appreciate yeah. it. This poem is uh, from, this is from my, my, my book, it's called Liver Mush. It came out in uh, March of 2022, uh, so just under a year ago. And uh, it's a poem, it's about, it's dedicated to Elon Musk. www.livermush.com I want access to liver mush at all hours of the day even when I'm full, even when I don't feel like eating liver mush. I just want to look at liver mush. I just want to be inside liver mush. I want a liver mush website, www.livermush.com. Anyone can build www.livermush.com. I just want to scroll livermush.com every morning and fall asleep bleary eyed waiting for livermush.com to refresh. Livermush.com could re replace all my old faves. Pitchfork, 
the blog about genes, porn, hot slices of liver mush in your area. You wouldn't last five minutes with this mush. Mainly, though, I want livermush.com to replace twitter.com and all my friends to follow me to livermush.com. I don't want anyone missing out on the fun. I'll tweet, follow me on livermush.com for primo mush content. The downfall of livermush.com will begin. Livermush.com will develop in-groups and subcultures, movements within movements, weird livermush, alt-livermush, local livermush, gun livermush. Podcasts will be hosted by livermush personalities. A New Yorker article will be written and will get everything embarrassingly wrong. A language of livermush will be invented. Quote livermushes on livermushes, re-livermushes, sub-livermushes, livermush threads, I want livermush.com to become the most popular website ever. Headlines livermushed on livermush.com will read, livermush.com is the most popular website ever, and we'll know it's true. Other headlines will say, livermush.com to purchase Washington Post. Livermush.com creating original streaming content available only on livermush OS phones. Livermush.com wins the Oscar for best new livermush. Livermush.com tastes like selling your soul to make a friend. Hash mush, liver mush. Subscribe to my only mush, only $2.99 this mush. There's no ethical consumption of liver mush under livermush.com. The creator of livermush.com deserves the guillotine. Everything runs its course. The creator of livermush.com is hiding at a mountain retreat, meditating on the vaguest bullshit you can imagine. The creator of livermush.com abandons all thought of livermush. They delete their account. They're a quadrillionaire. They own the Vatican. The rest of the world is left with all the mush. It's our problem now. Good luck. Uh, okay. Now, another a thing I've been working on, I don't really have a title for it. The article, the, <laughs> the word doc is just grant uh gun word doc just says gun in big letters uh so it's about it's about that um and i'll read a, a few things from it i don't know if they're poems i think some of them are poems some of them maybe aren't <clears throat> uh, this is called a gun is a creature from outer space a gun is some creature from outer space blasted to earth by an asteroid that began the most recent mass extinction event, who waited as estuarial bacteria and kernels of sprouted grass and mesocarpa fruit for the first farmer to invent farming and hijack the brain as a red hot urge until the 10th century in the siege of Dian, when the most genius warrior alive used black powder and bamboo to explode a spear into the face of the least lucky warrior alive. And the creature from outer space melted through gray matter to hair follicles, each decade fucked and bred more deadly, until finally imagine a private university where the best school shooters too cowardly to shoot themselves, where the first gun is founder and board member, the valedictorian was just hired as product manager of a digital marketing agency whose recent ad campaign for a children's energy drink called Empilialism just went viral on TikTok. This is the life cycle of every impure thought. Everything is just slightly not evil enough. 
because who cares about microterrorism when you can rent a three-bedroom apartment in the good part of town without roommates? This one is called uh, Chekhov's Gun. Um, it's dedicated to uh, Anton Chekhov. At a workshop, someone asked me if I'd written anything about Chekhov's gun, and I hadn't at that point, so I did some research and found out there isn't really a Chekhov's gun. By that, I mean Chekhov didn't use a gun in every play. He didn't specialize in gun stories. Chekhov's gun is a metaphor for continuity and significance. Every element in a story must serve a purpose. Every gun in a story must be fired. Though there is one gun in Chekhov's play, the cherry orchard, but it's never fired. No one shoots the gun in the cherry orchard. Apparently that was on purpose. Chekhov wanted to, the play to be about incomplete action. So he included a gun that wasn't used. That's what I read about Chekhov's gun on the internet. I never read Chekhov's plays, and I only read one of his stories about a lady and her dog. And even though I pulled up the Project Gutenberg website with all of Chekhov's plays available for free, I probably won't read The Cherry Orchard to make sure what I just wrote is correct. Research is a waste of time. Scholarship is a waste of time. The easiest way to get a PhD is to drive to the nearest Ivy League university, wait in the faculty parking lot for some dusty nerd to get in their Saab 9-3 hatchback and follow them. Make sure they're alone and asleep in their mid-century modern bungalow just outside the city before you climb in through the unlocked bathroom window. Don't worry about wearing a mask. All non-collegiate types look the same to these elitist scumbags. The degree will be hung in one of the oaky rooms lined with books, but you're going to want to wake the professor up first. Show them the gun if you have to. Oh yeah, make sure you bring a gun, a real one. Have them walk you to the framed piece of paper that costs $400,000 and two legacy donations and take it off the wall. Ask them, was it worth it? Ask them, what is Anton Chekhov's The Cherry Orchard about? Ask them, why didn't the gun in Chekhov's Cherry Orchard go off, especially when Chekhov is known for saying, if there's a loaded gun in a story, it must be fired before the end of the story. Cock your gun, tap their temple with it. Ask them, what do you mean it isn't that kind of PhD? Ask them, what good is a PhD in any field if it doesn't guarantee you can confidently answer this line of very normal questioning? Point your gun at the ceiling. Fire your gun at the ceiling. Tell the professor to clean up their piss. They'll know what to use. Congratulations. You have just completed the coursework and thesis portions of the Doctor of Philosophy program in continuity and significance. May God bless you and your future academic purposes. All right, I'm going to do two more, and then I'll, then I'll get out of here. I got to get back to talking. I'm going to get out of your hair. <laughs> this is called, a gun is like a toy no one gets to play with. Putting away plates in the kitchen, hungry but deciding maybe lunch was the last time I'll eat. I realize I've been thinking about a gun since April. It's getting serious. A nest of cockroaches is somewhere behind the cabinet. I kill a couple every day. It's not their fault for living here first. A gun is like a toy no one gets to play with. I should tell my landlord. I could get the dishwasher fixed faster. A refrigerator with a working ice machine. A few months off rent. Sometimes I can be convinced if it feels good to just do it. 
After the landlord, I could tell three or four politicians. A gun is like a toy no one gets to play with. My high school assistant principal. A gun is like a toy no one gets to play with. Past landlords. A gun is like a toy no one gets to play with. If it feels good, just do it. A suggestion isn't violence. I'm not worried about the future the way I used to be. A gun is like something a beautiful woman would ease out of my hand. You don't need this, she says. You just need this. She points to my heart. She has a French accent, probably, and maybe black hair and dark, glossy lipstick. No, she's Russian and blonde, and the lipstick is a matte red. We're sitting in a motel room at dusk. I'm crying in a way that's scary instead of pathetic. Her fingers touch a bead of sweat on my stomach. I'm shirtless and ripped, abs and pectorals, really great deltoids, too. Her hand rests on my thigh. My thigh muscles are super defined. I tell her, a gun is like a toy no one gets to play with. Thank you, she says. We already had sex, and it was really good. And this is the last one. A gun is a conversation. A gun is an argument I always win. A conversation is an argument when you have a gun. Everybody listen up. I have a gun.